You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. Garth Wood started playing professional rugby league as a 17-year-old for his beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs. He also went on to play for the Balmain Tigers. But when rugby league wasn't enough, he turned to professional boxing, winning the TV Contender Series. Part of the Contender Series was the winner got to go on and fight Anthony Chock Mundine, who was the two-time world champion at the time. Garth was a massive underdog to win this fight but went on to knock Anthony Mundine out in the fifth round. Garth Wood, welcome to The Stick Up. Mate, thanks for having me. Mate, I remember meeting you for the first time at Long Bay Prison. I think you were about 15 or 16. You come in with your brother and Tricky Trindle, and we'll, we're just having a game of social touch uh, football, and, and we're getting ready to uh, raise some money for Bear Cottage. Yeah, the Bear Cottage, I remember that fondly. Um, yeah, I was tagging along like I always did, my brother... And Daryl. Daryl's like my second brother as well. He lives at We're talking house. about Daryl Trindle. Daryl Trindle. He lived at my house more or less as a kid. And, and Daryl played footy with each other. And as you make your climb into first grade, I think I was actually ball captain for South. And then I was training with the first grade team in the off-season. How old were you when you were training with the first grade team? Seven, eight. Wow. I just finished actually ball. I was about to go into flag, but got pulled in the 21s. And then um, – so in the pre-season – because I was super fit, always had a big engine, and I was uh, breaking records with 800s and kilometre runs, and then we're doing the centennial runs. I got pulled up into the first grade train on side, and Daryl was uh, chief of going out to the Long Bay and putting a touch comp on, and yeah. that's when I first ran into you. Mate, that was, um, that was just amazing. I know from an inmate's point of view, it was like fucking you guys were just fucking superstars, you know <laughs> what I mean? And we are just all just stoked to be having a game of touch football with you guys and I was and just you, you like you like back then your humility like amongst a lot of you I think there was you Daryl uh, Trindle your brother Nat Duncan McRae Duncan McRae yeah Tyrone Smith yeah we're all out there then but, but you guys would just look like a bunch of young blokes that were having the time of your life well that's what football can do to you You'd like anything anything you uh, approach you got to love it first, and then, then you, you see that your success will come because you're having the time of your life. All right. Now, let's just go back just, just to back a step, mate. You grew up in the tough working-class suburb of Erskineville. Tell us what it was like growing up there. Oh, a lot has changed since then. But, yeah, um, in the 80s, my first house, I actually was born in Erskineville, Bridge Street, and then Dad bought a house on uh, Mitchell Road, Alexandria. It was a tough area. I went to Alexandria Primary. It was a tough neighbourhood, Redfern, Alexandria, Erskineville, and uh, made a lot of heroin back then, mm. all and throughout the well, streets. Well, I'll tell you, just, you know, well, I, me- I remember when I first went to Derek Boy's home and there was heaps of, like, it was, okay, mate, where are you from? Okay, and there was all these kids <laughs> from Erko, 
and they were all mat- like they were next level criminals. They were they were really, they were stealing Porsches and all the top end and breaking into sport. They were like I done my apprenticeship under a lot of blokes, in particular Darren Trindle, the brother of Darren Trindle, Daryl yeah. Trindle. Tricky. That's the first ever trickster I heard. The original Tricky Trindle. Yeah, he was a gifted talent. And then you talk about so many kids. See, the thing was growing up was either play footy or do some sort of sport, box, or either be a tough guy or a gangster yeah. because the girls like every one of them. So yeah. if you've got to have a reputation. You have a good fighter or you're into stick-ups or you're yeah. a crim or you can play sport. So you, that's what happens when you're in adolescence. You sort of looking for a good reputation because the girls like it or you've got to thin, footy fit into this – uh, the circle, and you either get tied up with being a crim or a footballer, and if not, um, you hit drugs. A lot of talent come out of there. A lot of talent come out of that area. You know, um, when I say that, it was a lot of talented fucking stick-up men come out of there too. But <laughs> tell me about, like, you know, your your dad was a well-known uh, footballer, played for North, Newtown, and South as a halfback. And re- well known for his toughness, mate. I actually put up a post yesterday. Funny you ask about that. Him playing at the Rabbits, seventy four. Dad grew up in an era where, mate, football was everything. Uh, he born and bred in Camperdown. Started off at Newtown, went to a year of two years at South, and then to North, and then back to Newtown. But I grew up um, idolising my old man. All I wanted to do was play football. Uh, my brother played first grade. My brother's a bit older than me, but we had a pool room. Dad was kicked a goal after footy, and he's pretty well off. But we still grew up in the neighbourhood that was rough and tumble. So we had a pool room, and, mate, there was black and white photos everywhere of Dad playing with the greats, like Ronnie Coote, uh, Bob McCarthy, Chickamore, and I would just – I'd sit there and idolise what Dad had done, and I still do today. Dad's, my dad is my best mate, and – He's the smartest man I know from what he's done and uh, his dealings throughout um, growing up. He's played um, top-end NRL football and he's he's run with the likes of Kerry Packer and John Singleton. So he's a very smart man and uh, I take his words of advice up here. He's uh, he's very smart and I have a great relationship with my dad. But yeah, he, he grew up on on the streets of Camperdown and come, come through playing NRL football and Hang with some uh, some tough nuts. Uh, Do you think that's the difference between you and a lot of the other kids from Erskineville? You had your dad as a role model, or them other kids didn't. One hundred percent, mate. Most of my mates are single mother, and in particular no, the ones that get in trouble, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no real discipline, and I, and like I, I'll tell you, I got up there some no good, but I think that comes part and parcel growing up in the area, you're a product of your environment. Lucky enough, didn't get pinched and uh, didn't. That didn't find out as much as what I was getting up to, but I was just petrified of going home and fronting dad, and dad give me the flogging of my life because it's very intimidating. And he, he was no, uh, no so dummy. Fair, would it be he fair could do a good read on whoever it was. I had mates that were shifty and they good, and he'd just he'd put them in their place and say, "Listen here, yeah. <laughs> you're barred. Get yeah. out of the house. You're, you're, like, you're not allowed back here for school holidays." Mm. And my dad would be strong on who you hang with. Where are you? What are you doing? And he could sense if I was lying to him, if I was up to no good. And he just had a way of reading people. And if you played up, I think there was nothing wrong with copping a bit of a flogging if you, if you earned it. Yeah. And it straightened me up. Do you have a structured life? Did you have a structured life? Because I know your dad was really, uh, he, like, even after football, he was one of these guys that always trained. and, 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 and Mate, he was, and he still does today. It was his birthday the other week, 73. 
and he slowed down a little now, like we all do, but forever. He was always running, training, pumping weights with uh, Brian Moore at the Police Boys. I wasn't that great at school. I'm sure it wasn't known as a back then. It was just saying, oh, he's hyperactive, ADD. I couldn't concentrate. I was always on the go. I think he knew well and quick, smart that, you know, I was always going to be an athlete because I was good at athletics. I was cross-country and then... I wouldn't sit still. So every time I got more or less got asked to leave school, mm. if you leave now, we'll give you your school your ten certificate. And then when I come home, if I was laying around in the lounge or watching TV, he'd rip into me. What are you doing? Get in there, do some weights, go for a run, go and train. Because he, I think he knew my best asset was my, um, me playing some sort of sport and trying to kick a goal and make a name of myself. There's good stats on it. There's good stats on kids that perform that that engage in uh, little athletics, uh, team sports and not engaging in any social behaviour. Yeah. And I, well, uh, And I think you're evident of that. Exactly. But, you know, but the way Dad uh, approached everything with me and my brother... Yeah, brother Nat played, what, 302 first grade yeah, game? Yeah, mate, he played over here, and then he went to the Super League and carved it up over there. Um, Warrington, if you have a look at his highlights, tape, it's unbelievable, Some the amount of tries and the speed off the mark. He was very clever. A lot of it comes from mum and dad. Uh, not just dad, like mum, mum's the pillar. Mm. Um, always is. She's always there and mate, she's kept some secrets from Baz, which has been grateful <laughs> for, for all of us. I was getting up to no good. But yeah, we, we couldn't have done anything without mum and dad equally. But I've been blessed with a good family and a good home life compared to some of the kids I grew up with, which is sad to see. I lost a lot of mates to heroin or are still locked up now these days because I'd have put it down to, yeah, maybe they didn't have two parents or well, I didn't have the discipline from a family that are, as a as a man and a woman in the house where you get both sides. You can't yeah. just... Like was it a ten- loving house? Was it a loving house? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Dad was strict, but you knew you had to earn, earn your way and if you are slouch or slacking off, you'd be pulled in the line. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and I talk about that now, that, that important of structure in kids' lives, you know, to keep them out of trouble. What age did you sort of start to show some sort of talent in, in football? When did you start getting identified? Because you went into the Souths. You, you caught the eye of Souths pretty early, didn't you? Mate, I played a, a trial first off, Matthew Shield. I made the team, but I sat on the bench the whole year. I got to start last game of the season against Cronulla. How old were you? I was 15, but mm. there was nothing of me. I was, uh, I was a skinny little string bean, but... Super, super fit and just wouldn't give up and have a go. And then the next off-season, I trained me, trained me ass off. Dad fed me up well. I put a little bit more weight on. And the next season, I made the SG Ball side. And then... And how, how, what's SG Ball, under 15? SG Ball's double, double year. So I think it's 15 and 16s mm. together. It's double mm. degree. Mm. But, mate, I, just, I was obsessed with, uh, with football. I wanted nothing more but to play on a role just like my brother, dad... And uh, I was over the park all the time, doing extras, doing sprints, pulling tyres, trying to get faster, trying to get stronger. I just wanted to play 40. Nothing more in this world did I want to do. And I just I made every rep team from then on. And then, like I said, the year after that, I played estuary ball again and become the captain. And people started saying, like, because I was breaking all these... Um, Fitness challenges and just running all day, and but I could still play. Where did that sort of that that 
like some people have got it just that 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 training that do you think that was genetic from your dad yeah probably instilled from dad and just want to get his approval of things and just seeing if you work hard what you can get out of it uh and by that time super league had hit and you'd seen that uh you can be a professional athlete now with nrl and all i saw was my brother daryl craig field terry hill jim dimmick jim sadara so i'll tell you there was a that was a red era hot, of that football was, yeah, that was, my brother's year the zetland played rovers one year and the amount of first graders that was in that grand final side was unbelievable and the talent i had a lot, a lot of good footballers to look up to in my brother's era and it was just the thing to do. Everyone played first grade football. If not, you got they all went on to play for Souths then, blokes too, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, it was a great era. Yeah, yeah. When did you first sort of sort of go in the grade, like playing first grade? How old were you? Uh, Seventeen. I debuted. Uh, I think it was ninety-seven against St George at Jubilee Oval against a cracker of a team um, like said Jamie Ainsco, Goldfort, Lance Thompson, Mark Coyne. And I was playing fullback. I debuted with uh, Daryl, Julian O'Neill, um, Tyrone Smith was in the team, Troy Slattery, Phil Howlett. Uh, we got beat on the bell, or just just got beat. But um, I had a big game. I was only there's nothing on me, but I'd run all day. I made a few meters and made a few breaks, and I went from there. Out of two seasons, how did that feel? How did it sort of feel walking out? Fucking just achieving a dream of playing NRL. <laughs> that would have been phenomenal. Yeah, it was uh, It was very daunting, to be honest. But I think with most things that I've uh, approached in my life, even though like boxing and having my first fight and then making the contender and then the final and mundane, I think you just got to accept it for what it is and invite it all and then just make it your own. Mm. I think the more you... you uh, Overthink and uh, do your head in, mate. You, you're destined to failure. What's the mindset? I'm, I'm really big on mindset. So you're walking out the tunnel, about to run on. What's your mindset? What's your What are you thinking? You're going out to do the best I can. I'm going to be the best version of me I can. What's the What's going through your head? Are you Do you visualise yourself scoring tries yeah, or anything like that? Or I've always been big on that. Um, Joey Thomas coached me for a while in a Jim Bean Cup team, and he was big on uh, uh, your thoughts and uh, visualisation. I actually had a board when I was boxing and you put up everything. Like So I walked into contender, an absolute novice, more or less. I had two fights, professional fights before. I got reading another book called The Secret where it tells you to put up this big board. And because I was still a novice and I wasn't a professional compared to the rest of the blokes who there was, I think, uh, five or six top tenors in, in the competitors so I put up all these different boxes which I wanted to look be as good as Evander Holyfield Sugar Ray Robinson Sugar Ray Leonard which I was nowhere going to be on but it had the idea of every day you wake up you'd look at the board and you'd, you'd just more or less bring it to life more or yeah. less and it's just visualisation and positive thinking goes a long way with every every challenge I've ever put in front of me yeah so you have you can, to be if you can you? believe you see yourself doing it you'll bring it to life yeah, I'm big on it. I, I see a lot of things before. And you just got to start saying certain things. Yeah, I'm I'm responsible. I love myself. I, I read this book and mm. it played a big part in all my successes because... Self-serving prophecy, it's called. Yeah. It's called a self-serving prophecy. I do it all the time. I say, man, I'm going to fucking do this, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it fucking well. But it's so true. If you're in the ring, you have one negative thought that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done here, I'm going to get beat, more or less you'll be on the canvas. Yeah, yeah. Where if in the other senses where 
if you think you're going to get it over the top of the bloke and you start thinking, I'm going to beat him, I'm going to drop him, all of a sudden you've dropped him, you've won the fight and your hands are raised. Uh, yeah. raised. So what happened with the NRL? Sort of, how many games did you play? <clears throat> I would have played 30. Yeah, yeah. 30 games. Oh, that's a great achievement. That's a great achievement. I think about that's the tough, toughest game in the world, right, as far as I'm concerned, and NRL. To, even to, to, make, to make it on the field, you've got to have a certain sort of toughness. Where did that toughness come from? Mate, I was always just a competitor. I did most sports. I wanted to do everything. I swam for a while, played swam at state. Um, I was always just up for a challenge with anything. I didn't like getting beat. I wasn't a sore loser, but I never liked losing. Mm. And I'd always give it me all. But um, just our household, there was always... Dad bring brought someone home who was a success or mm. something. And I don't know. There was a lot of pressure. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself, just given being the baby. And mm. Dad was who he was. And Nat was a terrific player. And then all my mates around me and Dad's uh, Nat's friends were first graders. Like your house must have been buzzing like... To be surrounded with those sorts of people, those people that are fucking going forward in life, like, you know, because there's the opposite. Like, I've seen houses where, you know, where people are just, that's just fucking loserville. Mate, it, it breeds, it just give me the attitude of really putting in and not, not, not bullshitting yourself. I remember Dad used to say, listen, you can bullshit everyone else, but you can never bullshit yourself if you're, if you're slacking off, and especially with boxing. Um, if you know you didn't put a good prep in, you'll find you'll get caught out in the ring. Mm. And it, it's like that in life. You gotta put the hard work in to get the results. Mm. Mate, I'm just I'm grateful for my upbringings. Mm. We had it good mm. in the sense there was always food in the house. Mm. But um, we talk about Erskineville and Alexandria and where it is now. Mate, I don't Alexandra think, Rovers, was that their team in there? Yeah, yeah, Alex Park was yeah. I was there every day after school. You know, growing up in Mount Drill, I've seen a few footballers and that What's the like? You talk the word you use uh, previously was e extra. So you go in when training's finished, you stick around and you do a, you do your own training. What's the importance of because the ones I, the ones I've seen do extras are the ones that end up playing fucking first grade. Yeah, that was the difference between them and the ones that didn't. I saw I saw a thing on Instagram now with Kobe Bryant, and he did exactly the same thing. You get there three hours before the actual training session was there. And then he, he would be playing with his partners or with his teammates and you'd see that they were slacking off, they weren't putting in. In the end, most people thought he was a hog, but he wouldn't want to pass them the ball because he knew that maybe they wouldn't get over the line. I looked into it the other day, but it just shows you that sort of mentality of champions, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and getting filthy on his, his players that he, he competed with because they weren't putting in. It was so, like, he just he just understood that success comes with the hard work and the determination and putting the effort in and it showed with him but I mm. think it, it happens with most successful sports athletes and businessmen uh, you got to do your research and you got to do your homework and you got to put in yeah who were your idols growing up in that area because there was a lot of, lot of people to look up to weren't there mate yeah. I lived on Mitchell Road and even though I was an Aussie Rules player and I've got to f watch it now I had the Swans at Erco Oval I had South Sydney Rabbitohs at Redfern Oval and I had Newdown Police Boys where Johnny Lewis was a big f family friend and one of Dad's best mates. Jeff Fennick, uh, is, he looked after me like an uncle. And the lad that likes to Jeff uh, Costa Zoo, Jeff Harding, Jeff Fennick. So there's three world cool. champions there. It was just sports orientated, the whole the whole area. And, working and what class. did you look for in a hero? What did you what did you look for in an idol? What was that? What was that? Mate, Jeff, Jeff Fennick was my idol. Yeah. I never saw anyone with the determination and the tenacity and the will and uh, just 
sacrifice yeah. and just the way his attitude coming forward, dropping weight. Like he took on the likes of some big, big. Carlos Arraga. Oh, yeah, the Mexicans. Daniel Zaragoza. Exactly. So, that yeah. was crazy. And I, I just, I would, uh, I'd leave Alexandria Primary once the bell would go. And I knew that they started sparring at 2.30 in the afternoon. So I'd race up Erco Road at eight or nine years old and sit on the apron of the ring and just idolise and watch them. I'd sit there yeah. and be sweat pissing off me because yeah. everyone was trying to make weight back then. I remember when you'd walk in there, it would be like a sauna and mm. I'd have my school uniform on and everything and I'd be sitting there sweat pissing out of me, mm. just in, in uh, idolising Zoo, Fennec. You see, Jeff Fennec had a work rate like no other. Yeah, From go to woe would be the same. Yeah, yeah. Not to 100 for the whole 12, 15 rounds. What was the transition from football to box? Like, because an opportunity come up. Can you just explain the opportunity come up for the contender? Can you explain what the contender is? Sure. What had, what had happened in the space of 18 months was uh, a negative and a positive. So I was playing for the Tigers. The Tigers was coached by Wayne Pierce. He'd promised me a contract. They'd reneged. Hmm. And at the same time, the uh, home life of my um, wife at the time was uh, coming uh, south of the border. Uh, so we're blowing, fighting all the time, domestic arguments, this and that. And we split. And at the same time, I didn't have an NRL team to go to, didn't have a job. So my ego was shattered and I was blaming the world. Hit the piss hard with my mates. My mates were up to no good. And to be honest, it was quite scary for not so much me. I didn't... I was at a stage in my life where I had a death wish and I was I was mucking up and uh, getting on the drugs and the piss and blaming everyone around me except for myself. Mum and Dad were worried, as you can tell, because uh, they uh, come from a good home and where's Garth? He's not around. People are saying he's hanging with these people, that people. So, Do you think that was a part of the depression of sort of... Because you had a purpose as a sportsman, right? Mate, I, 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 even when I did drink, I didn't drink excessively until... The time I started losing everything around me, my because you lost your purpose, right? Yeah, I was known as as an athlete, and I had a good home life. I had two beautiful daughters and a wife, and then that crumbled around me. And then I didn't have a steady job, and then I was always looking about was everyone talking about me, which which was beating myself up against the wall. So only way I knew what to do was being aided by getting on the piss week in week out, and sometimes go even longer than that during the week just losing touch of reality and I was my daughter's idol and all of a sudden they'd say dad was always crying and dad was hung over and where's dad he's you not feel around like depression you got yeah, the depression heavy depression yeah but um the crazy thing was because it was always instilled in me the train I would still rock up at Johnny Lewis's gym at um <laughs> Sydney University and just Johnny knew that I wasn't all there and I was mucking up and that but I'd turn up with my training gear, my gloves, my headgear, and I'd say, "Can I have a spa?" Because mm. I was just, I just, I just wanted to fuck and test myself and take it out of myself. Even if I got bashed or got hammered, I'd walk up and down the cross on the piss, just looking for fights as well. So I'd come to the gym and just, just want to just hammer away on someone. Or if I got bashed myself, I wouldn't give a shit. Mm. And I'd still go all right and tell some of these uh, pros up and that, but walk out 
within the next day or two, get back on the piss and just absolutely hammered myself, mm. which was fucking crazy. But really self-destructive. I, did, I just didn't know what to do because I'd never fallen over in life and nothing had been taken away from me. So intense like that before, you know, I was I was always pretty in a good chair and going all right at life and things were good. I didn't have a real struggle happening until everything around me fall, fell apart and I just didn't know where to turn. So I look back at that now and I'm grateful because growing up I'm a lot more mature now and seeing how people can just uh, disappear or take their life. I contemplated all that sort of shit off my head and pissed and hung over and this and that, but I was grateful enough to be so tight-knit with Johnny Lewis. Even though he could see me from afar what I was doing and he could hear from everyone else, the best thing that ever happened to me was Shannon Taylor put out of Contender. And the Contender was a TV series. Contender was Fox 8. Mm. And it was a reality boxing TV show which uh, had 14 competitors. And I think there were five top tenors in the, in the competition. And he rung me out of the blue. And it was three days before commencing. And I'd be on the piss and, like I told you, running myself into the ground with Death Wish. He rung me three days out. He said to me, mate, how are you? I said, yeah, I'm good, Johnny. And uh, I tried to put the smother on and he said, mate, stop fucking lying to me. I know exactly what you've fucking been doing. I said, I don't want you guys, I don't want to get into that, but, but I'm just going to tell you there's an opportunity for you. Uh, you're aware of what the contender that was going about? I said, and I'd heard just whispers that, yeah, it was happening. And because I'd been off gallivanting, doing shit, whatever, I didn't think I, anyone would even be... Making the phone call to ask me what I if I'm interested, but Johnny, maybe because my beast and he knew what I was about as a kid growing up, that I was always put my hand up and once I got involved and stepped into something, there'd be a big transformation, and that's what he's like. He's just a father figure and he knows how to talk to some people. He just knows how to motivate you if you're in the corner with him or you're in the gym with him, and you, that's the one thing you don't want to let him down. Like I'd never wanted to let my mum and that down, but there come a time where. I couldn't handle it. I just couldn't handle the pressure of just trying to keep afloat and walk around with my head held high when everything had been taken away from me. Maybe more because of my doings. Maybe I was just getting up to, you know, not handling life proper as I should have. But I said, Johnny, leave it with me. As you know, I'm split with Mel every second weekend. I've got to look after my girls. I said, if mum and dad can help me out, how long have I got to be in this competition? He goes, mate, you're there until you get beat, and it could be eight weeks. So I went home, uh, put it on mum and dad. Dad said, you're fucking kidding. <laughs> he goes, you don't think I know what you've been fucking doing the last 18 months since uh, you broke it's up? 18 months, yeah. Big 18 months, mm. easy. Drinking piss, just running amok. And he said, mate, you walk in there, you'll fucking end up dead. Someone will put you in hospital, they'll cave your head in. You haven't been training, you haven't been doing this, you haven't been that. Which is right. Dad knew exactly where you got to be. Those, that had all had at least three or four months or I had whisper if they're going to be in this competition of heavy, serious training where I've been pissing up the wall and fucking on the toot and this and that mm. and running the muck. He said, you're a fucking idiot. Wake up to yourself. So he left and I said to my mum, can you please do something? I said, I promise you, I'll turn my life around. If I get in there, just do something. Get it over line for me. So... She looked after it and she come back to me and he said, you're a fucking idiot. He goes, but you better fucking do what you got to do. And rung Johnny back. I got picked up from Fox Studios, whoever, in a massive truck. They took me to Homebush in three days later. And I promise you, 
from the instance I walked into that competition and I stepped foot in there, I just like I could feel like the spirits just hit me and I just I never looked back. Competitive return. Mate, it was You had a purpose? Oh, I was just tingling. Mm. Like I stayed at this Ibis hotel and I knew that I was about fifty lengths behind all the rest of them and but I had a base fitness like no other. You know what I mean? I'm not not talking it up. I consider myself as one of the fittest players ever played rugby league and still today I'm still pretty foot fit walking around but I knew that I was a big length about 50 lengths behind everyone else so at about eight o'clock at night when we all were supposed to go to bed I'd jump out the window and shimmy slide down the window and just go for a massive road run around homebush but also semi soul searching knowing what I've been doing was fucking no good and what did that time reveal to you about yourself? Mate, I'd be running ball of my eyes out. Mm-hmm. Knowing that in happiness, knowing this is my big fucking shot to turn my life around. Because mm. Well, that's tears of joy. Is that that yeah. yeah, knowing that the hunger's there, got the real Garfy Woods back, and you know within yourself, I just, I was grateful that I'd been given this opportunity. I was fucking blessed. Like, where, where could that ever happen to anyone else? So I put that much pressure on myself wanting to play first grade, wanting to be like that, wanting to be like that. I just couldn't quite get there being a f- full-time first grader. Mate, I played plenty of reserve grade games in and out of first grade. I had a big season, season and a half, two seasons in first grade, but uh, suffered an ankle injury with the Tigers and then they reneged. And then because I'd always get in the blues at school and I could hold my hands up, I knew I could fight. But at that stage, had, have you ever had a professional boxing I'd fight? had two pro fights. Mm. I had seven amateur fights. Mm. I think everything happens for a reason. You probably, I probably fantasised and... Pictured myself being a boxer way back when, but Dad actually wouldn't let me have amateur fights when I was a kid. So all this boxing that took part in the space of three or four years when before I there was a year when Super League kicked South out of the comp, I had seven amateur fights, but I was in and out of the gym with Fennec at Bankstown Police Boys. And mind you, the stable then was all all these pros who I was sparring, but there was the likes of uh, Skinny Hussain, Huss Hussain, Victor Chinian, um, Sakio Bicker, Denny Green, and I was sparring the likes of them, and I'd only had three or four amateur fights, and I still hold my own, but then when South Well, come, Johnny must have seen something in you. <laughs> like, he's a good judge. Yeah, I went to, uh, it was a chance to go to Manchester Games, Commonwealth Games, and I went straight to the Australian Tiles, and Billy Hussain said, mate, you've only had three or four fucking amateur fights. He said, these blokes have been fighting all their life since I was five, six years old. I was like Daniel Girl, Jamie Pittman and all that. Mm. So I went to the say tiles of Bass Hill, fought three fights. So it was three fights you had to win to get in the team. I won the first one the first day, won the second on the second day, and then I got to the final against Jamie Pittman and I hit him where they supposedly reckon I hit him after the break, which I didn't, and I knocked him out. So I got disqualified by Arthur Tunsil and then I thought, ah, oh, this is fucked. Fuck boxing, it's a joke, you know. Like you thought, I fought the fight of my life and I didn't make the team. So by then, South had come back in the comp. I went back and played. So I was a bit of a journeyman. I went back and played footy for another three or four years. And then um, Tigers said no more. And then like went, went south of the border for a while, like we spoke about when all that turmoil went in my life. I said, but, you know, the time when I come back, I only had two fights and... Everything, it's, it, my, my life's always been about timing and opportunity and when I got that I took it with both hands and that was the same time after Tigers had reneged on a contract and I went 
off the rails that um, Contender was happening. And what a I, I walked in there. But in Johnny Lewis too. Who was in the Contender? Who was the name of the fighters that were in Contender at the time? The guy I fought in the final, Kariz Karaoke. He was an Olympian. A bloke called Victor Oganoff, who at the time I was... Vic, I met him in Perth. Yeah, he was regarded as probably the feared super middleweight in the world at the at that instance, at that time. Nader Hamden. Champion. Um, we had him on the show. Champion. Junior Talapau. So there were some really serious contenders in there. And I was only a four-fight novice. Walked in there, the biggest underdog ever, and then... Mind you, the day I walked in there, the next day was the fitness challenge, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I flogged everyone and won it. Unf- so it shows unfit, you that unfit. unfit and just Big more about, it was more about rehab. That, mm-hmm. that that whole fucking contender was rehab for me. Off the piss, running, eating right, get my mindset, thinking positive thoughts, and just thinking I was put on. This is everything out for reason. This was made for me. This contender. The eye of the tiger. Yeah, mate, it, it actually did happen like that, and um, I was really to myself the first couple of weeks of the competitive uh, like the show I was winning everything but I was just still keeping to myself and then my first fight I knocked out Carney he was a Queensland champion it was a big um, vicious knockout and that's when they all went fucking who's this bloke right because he was an underdog never heard of him they should have heard of me before and then I started being me happy lucky gay self half by June I'm not being overconfident but just being cheeky and mm. so you got settled yeah, you got relaxed yeah, yeah. I relaxed and I thought Did you, and, you, and you felt worthy this and is, part yeah, of this is I'm going to claim this this is mm. mine I'm going to take it that's that self belief yeah that's once correct. you start kicking goals once you beat someone boom you beat the next person boom then you think you're untouchable mm. so that, that's how good the boxing boxing can be to you I remember as a kid going to the police force Johnny Lewis would tell you the guys that he's taken from getting out of jail and walking into the gym, turning their life around, becoming uh, Australian mm. champions, Commonwealth champions, the, just the whole um, training aspect and your full process of setting goals and knocking them over, it carries on in, on the outside world when you walk out of the gym and out of the ring. You know, you have a better home life. Your relationship's better. It all just structure. That's yeah, like, it's all related. I remember meeting Johnny. I remember the first time I met Johnny Lewis. He brought him and Johnny uh, O'Connell, the ring announcer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They brought out Costa Zoo, Justin Rousel, and Rube Kennedy, and um, they brought it, brought him out the bar. And I just, I was just in awe of Johnny. Well, I was in more awe of Johnny than I was in Costa. Like just his reputation, and and he was so um, giving of his time. And, and just the subtle words that he would say in that soft voice, yeah, son. Yeah, he just has a way. He knows exactly what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And then if you really are that sort of person that has a real good look at yourself in the mirror and you don't kid yourself and you know what you've got to set, set your goals and uh, to accomplishment, what, what it's going to actually take to fulfil them, he, he'll just look you straight in the eyes. He'll ask you certain questions. you say, come on, son, we ready? You're going? Let's go. Come on, giddy up. Yeah. He'd done the 82 Kangaroos, 82, 84. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh. he, he'd done a couple of tours with the Kangaroos. And the un- were they the Untouchables? Yeah, or yeah, the, uh, the un- Invincibles. Invincibles, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and all the players, like, uh, you know, they talk – I've read autobiographies and they just talk about his presence. Yeah, he's unique. He's a special man and uh, he's known throughout Australia and especially around Erskineville. Uh, he's a knockabout. They love he, him. He's just so well-respected from – Businessman to fucking Australia's most wanted men. You know what I mean? Like there's legendary stories. Yeah, he loves a crook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
mate, so let's talk about let's you know the mindset, mate. You're in this. You're in a zone. It's oh man, that's giving me it's sending me shivers up my spine. Because I, I, I get it, I, you know, I go I go in and out of depression. But then I, when I fucking when my spirit comes back, it's like yeah, fucking earth. Uh, fair enough. There's mental health and people they got to take their medication, but they should include it uh, a training regime as well. Yes, I think get I, 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 I say best any depression there there ever is is a fucking good hit 100%. out. You know what I mean? And I know for myself, you know, part of my routine is to get up and 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 I fucking know when I lie to myself when I train and I go oh. Uh, Sylvester Stallone's got this thing in it. You've got a training program. It's called One More. One More Rep. Uh-huh. One More Rep. Okay, just yeah. that fucking, that's the, oh, the, it's the championship. It's one, one more fucking rep. And I'm big into that at the moment. No matter what, finish with one more. Just go back yeah, and do if it. If I'm stressed, I just got to put my joggers on and I go for a run. Yeah. A bit like Forrest Gump. I just go for a run. I come back and I'm not a care in the world. Like It's just, it's a way of um, filtering the good from the bad and then just not doing your head in. I think I have this saying. I don't mean to offend the Christians, but I say this. I said boxing saved more lives than Jesus. You know, especially the troubled lives. And um, and you're right. You're right. I just see in, in jail boxing programs in jail give them people a structure. And with you with yourself, I, I I'm just amazed that someone with your like the background is you can just jump in there and like the mindset of like fucking. When does it click to go? Fuck. You know what? I can win this. When you got that knockout, was it? Yeah. Did that give you the confidence? Like, I walked in there and I was quite reserved, sussing out everyone because you know everyone's going to be a challenge. But as each day went on and as I walked in there and after me abusing myself for so long and flogging them in this fitness challenge, I thought to myself, geez, there should have been, uh, like, fair enough. There's mentality and there's your engine and it's your balls and everything. That There's so many things that make up you to be a good fighter, your skills and that. Mentality, but I thought the with me absolutely abusing myself for 18 months and then walking in there and flogging my that's what really went. Oh, I'm half a chance here. How important is it having a purpose to you in your life? Yeah, well, I need some structure. I need some. I, I was big on setting goals and that. I've semi gone away from it now because I'm not doing any active sport or anything, but I've got to try and cross that over to just day to day things and just work wise and. Uh, businesses that I'm doing now. I'm running I'm running the gym at PCYC at the moment and it's all starting to happen now. But I think I'm more of an adrenaline seeker with the things that I do. So I played footy and I box and that. But I rob banks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's my adrenaline. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think I need a bit more purpose and that's when I start goal setting and yeah. putting – be more obsessive of something. Yeah. I don't have that in my life at the moment, but I'll be getting back to something. Was like that a common trait, that obsessive trait that you had for growing up for a kid? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the juice. That's when I start getting really involved in something. and Staying off the piss and staying clean and having something that you can actually hone in on, mm. that's when you start getting results. Let's go to the final of the contender. Talk us through it. He was a heavy favourite. Um, he got offered who was, who was karaoke. Yeah. He'd represent um, uh, some, I can't remember what, what, what country he was African country, yeah. African country. And yeah. he got offered a world title. Mm. And the money wasn't that great because the money for the contender final, if you want it, was 250000 He denied the world championship and said, oh, don't worry about the world championship. We're going to walk all over Garth Wood. Mm. What were the odds What were the odds on you? I was uh, eight to one. My dad had a bet with um, Best Bets all up me beating Mundine again, him and my brother. My brother and my old man won a couple hundred thousand back in the day, but um, 
they were always confident in me once once I started kicking goals and they saw that I was switched on because they've seen what I can do when I'm really on my ball. So he was a heavy favourite. He'd just been in the Olympics. I think it was the Sydney Olympics. He was part of the African Kings that sort of kept yeah, that there. Yeah, mate, he was a very good fighter and they said it was um, a close fight but you look back at it, even his boxing manager is a good mate of mine, Fidel Tika, he goes, mate, you want it hands down. And I fought the With fight Fidel of my life. Day. Yeah, Fidel. Okay. I fought the fight of my life. Even though I beat Mundine, that's my favourite fight. Um, just given what I'd done and the way I'd transformed from being an absolute typical footballer and boxer. What was, that, what was that? How many weeks was involved in that? Like from Well, that's the one to- thing. They, uh, we had a spell for about – because I went to L.A. and went with Billy Hussain and we got as much sparring as we can in that for a bloke who could replicate Kariz Karayuki, the big, tall African. He was about six foot four. So I went over to L.A. and I was fighting and sparring blokes over there and just mauling them. And I was coming on like a real seasoned professional where – in the contender house, I was real uh, like a brawler, like a typical rugby league bloke. Mm. He's never had a fight before. He was just like a brawler on the street. And then I transformed from that whole preparation where we went to LA, Vegas, and, and sparring some African-Americans over there. And it was that's what was so pre- precious and so beautiful because I transformed into a, a real, real professional. Mm. And uh, I hold that fight above Mundine. Because I don't even know Mundine was the golden goose. Just the, to see yourself come from where I started. He, he was a top tenner in the world, Karis Karayuki. I think he was they were lining up for Chock to fight him. They didn't think I was going to stand a chance. But You're this guy, right, from Urko. And I guess, you know, look, if I'm from Mount Druitt. And, and, and people generally underestimate as they write us off. Because <laughs> we're just a battler. How does it feel when what's is there a much of motivation and whenever people underestimate me, it's like oh you'll fucking see, mate. You saw when I um when I beat Mundine, I think there's a time there when I'm laying on the top rope and I'm balancing on it. I was that fit because I was just mm. overawed by the whole moment and uh, it was just like I was floating on a cloud. It, mm. was, uh, it was the best feeling in the Other world. Other people are doubting you, but you're not doubting yourself. Exactly. I think you'll find with blokes even when they're underdogs, their mentality leading into it. They know what they're capable of and uh, they can see himself and they believe in himself and it's all about the want. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he had all the natural ability in the world, but I had the greater want and I was willing to go as far as it had to go. I would have was willing to die in the ring. Do you have a fight? I have a fight where I look back. I look at Dennis Andre's Jeff Harding fight and where Jeff Harding knocks him out in the last round, like 10, 15. Do you have a fight that goes, that fucking fight motivates me? Is there yeah. any one fight? His was one of them. Yeah. That, well, that would have been one of them. I love when uh, Jeff fought the Mexican. It was like a real street fight in the mm. fucking corner. They're like headbutting, elbowing each other because it it just shows it's courageous, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just shows the the want and the not so yeah, the desperation to to want to achieve something and be the best. I just love that street mentality that Jeff used to possess. I used just to watch Jeff's. Uh, VHS on going back now. It mm. wasn't a DVD, but yeah, I used to watch all of Jeff's fights. I like Jeff Harding's uh, fight against Andre's. Um, I watch. I actually watch the Rocky movies because it's yeah. that emotional. I used to have a get a tear in the eye about watching all the Rocky movies. Rocky's Rocky's a real uh, motivator for me. For a lot of people, I think I think Rocky movies for fucking tennis players. Yeah, it's that tenacity that this this will never to give in and fucking just take it to the yeah, fucking the big belt. underdog. He's yeah. the biggest underdog in the in the Hollywood world, but. 
Yeah, I still watch it now. I still get teary eyed. It's good. So you you. So what, what, with that fight in the contender, what a go down? A go down to a decision. Went to a decision, and they they made out like it was close, but. I had even these cornermen that I talk to now, and they said, "Mate, you won that hand down." It was unanimous. Let's talk about okay. Let's talk about the celebration because it was a very well. And I, just as, as we <laughs> come into the studio, there was, someone was talking about the, how big the celebration was after you won that fight. Oh, it was a big gang of us. Yeah. <laughs> we end up at the Dream Girls. A mate of mine, Mick Manny, was running it. And I know Mick. He's up in the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was huge. Um, I remember I was out. On, on the radio, talking to 2GB, it was uh, Ray Hadley only had me on the phone and I was saying, Garth Wood, the, the Garth Wood from the hood, mate, tell us what you did. And I was blind, I was cockeyed, still talking, but <laughs> I could still get me sentences out. <laughs> and it was crazy. I, like, the, the piss up, and you saw my brother when I beat Mundine and he held me up. Uh, he's been there through everything and he's my best mate. And I actually tell you a funny story. When when all this happened and all these achievements, I had the Southern Courier ring me and saying, oh, mate, can we do an interview? So it was in the area of Erskineville, and I went to Sydney Park on top of the hill, and I think my old man must have told me, brother, that, oh, your brother's going to do an uh, interview with the Southern Courier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's the biggest prankster in the world, right? So I'm on the hill, this bloke's taking photos on me, I'm posing and that, and then about 150 metres away from me, there's a bloke with a cowboy hat on, <laughs> G-string, and a fucking kite. He's, he's, I swear to God, he's flying a kite like this. And then I go, I look like that. Didn't vary. It was him and the bloke goes, what's up? Bloke with a camera and looks at me, brother. Brother's come closer going, Garth, Garth, wood from the hood. Oh, my God, Garth. So but he's just a G-string on and a cowboy hat in this kite. And I'm like, Fuck off. <laughs> right? And the bloke said, Who's this bloke? I said, It's me brother. And he goes, You sure? I said, Mate, it's me brother. And then my brother laughed. He said, Oh, mate. But he just had a way of embarrassing me and just putting people on the spot. And he's just one of the biggest G-ups you'll ever meet. But he's been through there for everything and he's my best mate. And uh, it's good to have that in your life. It's fucking That's, funny. You always make you laugh. But brother. you've had good male role models. You've had your dad, a big brother that was success, and it's been. It's I think that really important. Yeah, I've been lucky with family. I've got a great family, and we're all supportive of one another, and the people around us. You know what I mean? I've got people that are, are friends, but I treat them like blood, and that's how I am. If you're mm. my mate, I treat you like my brother. And that's how it's supposed to be. Legendary businessman and philanthropist John Singleton, like he's like a, a godfather. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's been there through everything with me and Nat. Nat started at the Tigers. He was there supporting Nat. Same with me with South and my football. And then when all this come about, he was sponsoring me and looking after me. And he's got a stud farm up at uh, Mount Very White. wealthy man, yeah. Very wealthy man. And I'd spent two weeks in preparation for the Mundine fight up there. Just quickly, can we just give me a quick one minute brief on how did the Mundine fight come about? Because he was mate, yeah. the, he was the prize of the yeah. contender. Yeah. So if you won the contender, you're you're, you're up against Mundine for As a uh, even fight. a bigger cash yeah. prize. Yeah. So we grew up with one another in the same area. I started off at Redfin, and then his dad moved him out to Blakehurst and that, but. Mate, he was, he, there wasn't one sport he wasn't any good mate, at. Mate, he could play World I Championship marbles. Yeah, mate. Mm. Play for Zetland. I think he's got the record for so many tries scored. He's a junior f- footballer. He could play basketball um, and he could obviously box. But mm. all these cousins I grew up with, they all went to school with me. But So we knew each other in the area. But um, I wasn't regarded as being 
a super super athlete, but uh, with the fact that you know who he was, he he probably thought he was going to walk all over me, and yeah, it was sad because it was so divided the area because there was people that grew up with all of us that just didn't know who who to who to lean on. Where by going off Chock's record, he was a three time world champion, but knowing that I'd never give up, being an underdog, mate, everyone was divided in the area, so. It was pretty close uh, in the sense of who was going for who, but um, I think I was a soft spot for everyone. Everyone loved an underdog. Yeah. And just how he made, he played a villain in his career and he was a, was a wise move. He made 40, 40 million out of it. But I think he brushed people up the wrong way because when it come to pay-per-views, which was a smart tactic being a businessman, that you, you, you pay for the pay-per-view just to see him get knocked out. Yeah, so he was divisive. I was grateful for him, and I think a lot of Australian boxers. And so they should. He's be. made some good money for yeah. giving him an opportunity. So I'm still mates with him. <laughs> Danny Green, Danny, I've had Danny. Danny Green loves the bloke, and, yeah, and um, people think they hated each other, and it's just yeah, it's all for the, all the cameras. Oh, well, mate. In that instance, when I, I took him on, yeah, I wanted to absolutely walk all over him and just. Well, you don't want to go in and hug him. Nah, but that's that's the fighter mentality, you know. You like, know what like I like football. about boxing? I love that. I love this thing where you could want to kill each other before the fight and you're bagging each other, but the sportsmanship when you shake their hands and yeah. you're in the change room, fucking, you know, having a yarn after it. It's warriors sort of stuff. Well, I know it was my last. I had nothing else, so mm. I chose boxing. So I guess. It's that sort of mentality that people don't really choose it, or unless it's in their family. But sometimes from struggling and you know, the neighbourhood you grow up, you're more or less forced to box to put food on the table back in yeah. the day. But I was at that time and that the crossroads where I had nothing else, and that was the best thing in the world for me, really. You get in there, you're fighting Chuck Mundine. Bell goes, what's the mindset, mate? I wasn't in one instance. Intimidated? Not a nah, I just things had been happening for me. Mm. I beat one bloke, another bloke. I was just things had, were coming. On a roll, like, yeah. I had this mindset. I had this goal. I met this bloke who was going to help me out. I, I, and then another bloke said, "Oh, he's going to do your food for you. He's a nutrition." It's just like everything was was a positive thing that was happening in my life, and it was meant to be. So I walked in there, and we had a game plan. Me and Jeff Fennick. I remember exactly. Jeff Fennick was your coach for this one? Jeff Fennick, I was with Billy Hussain as well, but I was doing, having special one-on-ones with Jeff and he was telling me what to do, would attack his body, he didn't have a good body, rip him and then left hook him and then big overhand right. And we just did that relentless. So my mindset was tattooed in my head. And for the first couple of rounds, he wouldn't let me get anywhere near to him because he knew I had this big power punches and this and I was knockout both hands but when when he started to slow down a little and I got him in the fourth I heard him and then come on the in the fifth round I got him on the ropes ripped him in the body with the left and he oh he heard that he went to run and then I left hooked him in the overhand right and it was lights out and me and Jeff had just been going over that same combination over and over and over for the last eight weeks and it shows you when you have a game plan and you stick to it and it comes to life I don't know why I don't do it all the time. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, it's it's a, it's a good analogy for life, isn't it? Just stick to the game plan. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I was grateful for that, Jeff. Jeff is a super trainer, and to compare him and Johnny to one another, Jeff, technically wise, and given the fact that he's been in there with and he's won three world titles, four now. Yeah, four world titles now, yeah. and then Johnny just knowing how to 
prop you up and just doing what has to be done and lifting you, you know, it's uh, I'd make a good combination if they got together and they patched things up. You know, you're really well received in, in the streets of Sydney, like, you know, you're the underdog. Sort of a bit of a rocky story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. There's a very similarity. Well, they called me the Cinderella Man when I, when I did what I did, uh, when I accomplished all my achievements then, which was uh, Russell Crowe, but nah, mm. it, was, it was just, I was just grateful to um, turn my life around more than anything. And it's like, well, it'd be fair to say boxing saved you. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and it saved many others. What are you doing these days? And Mate, I'm <clears throat> working at Balmain PCYSO, running a boxing gym, looking after the kids there. And we talk about, you said to me, where you're from, Erskineville. Back in the day, not when I was growing up, but my mum and that. My mum lived in Gary Street, and it was known for a tough nut area, either a tough guy or a gangster. But there was, uh, it wasn't like the crime around these days with... Uh, they more or less stuck to themselves, the gangsters in the area then. There wasn't many, like, home invasions or any, like, innocent people getting caught up in that mm. world of gangster mm. and the criminal world back then. But that whole area was big on uh, PCYCs, and I find that mm. now there's not many PCYCs around because uh, they're all been sold off or they're more commercialised. Mm. And back in the day when it was so working class in the Erskineville or Newtown area, mate, it was like another community. It was like a... a Started a family, a home yeah. away from home where they'd feed them yeah. and there'd be somewhere to go. They'd learn a sport. They'd be shown discipline and all that's been a big loss of the communities now and it's, it's sad to say but I'm working there now and I'm all, even though it's my own business, I still look after the kids that come through the area and I could tell because I've been picked on as a kid as, as, as well myself. The kids would walk in with their head down, self-esteem would be rattled but within a month of training with me and me, you know, heckling and not so much heckling, but I'd say putting down the laws and showing them some Like your dad's son. Yeah. So acting like a father figure, like you, your dad has to you, sort yeah, of. Yeah, and it's worked. Replicating. I've got, I've got parents DMing me going, say, arguments, say his name's Johnny. Oh, this has been the best thing for Johnny. Johnny was, you know, getting picked on at school and his self-esteem's through the roof. And you, honestly, that Johnny be walking into the gym now and go, oh, hello, Garth, how are you? Telling me about everything he's yeah. getting up to. Well, when he first said, you can get boo out of him. Hmm. But... And I'd say to them, i say, listen, now, you're getting taught how to defend for yourself here, but if I find out you're mucking up at school or you're bullying anyone, I'll cut you from the class. And That's important. It's been working. Mate, if, how do people find you? Like, man, I recommend it. Anyone looking for a, a personal trainer, a fucking person, a motivator, and, you know, because you've got, you've got them all. You've got the Jeff Fennick traits. You've got your dad's traits. You've got Johnny Lewis's traits. You, you're, you're Garth, you know, you've got all these super traits. Thanks, mate. I would recommend you uh, th- to a- anyone for a personal trainer who really want, knows what they want to do and, and someone that knows how to fucking build your engine because he's got a fucking, he's got the engine of Farlap. <laughs> yeah, well, mate, I'm on Hood Boxing mm. and I'm at main PCYC. Instagram? Instagram, Hood Boxing or Garthwood. I've got two, two Garthwood13 or they can get me on my um, main PCYC Instagram, which is Hood Boxing. Get on it, because you've got a, an opportunity to train with a fucking dead set champion, a legend, the Rocky of Sydney. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Garth Wood, thanks for being on the sticker. My pleasure, mate. I love your work. Thank you.